0: Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuned in this Sunday morning. Well, today we're going to be talking about a topic that we've discussed briefly before, and it's something that I think is one of the greatest evidences for God and one of the greatest evidences for the reliability and the trustworthiness of the Bible, and that is prophecy in the Bible. Today we're going to be talking with Nathan Jones with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is Nathan's expertise. And so I'm excited to have him on the show, and I know you're going to be excited to hear what he has to say. I think you'll get a lot out of the show today. Well, with that being said, let's welcome Nathan to the show. Nathan, welcome to The God Solution.
1: Well, thank you, Nate. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Lion and Lamb Ministries?
1: Uh, sure thing. Uh, actually it's, uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries. It's easy to mistake that. We have people calling us Lemon and Lime and <laughs> Lion and Leap and, uh, but the ministry is named after Jesus came first as a lamb, a, a suffering on, that's his first coming. And his second coming, he's coming as a conquering lion to establish his kingdom on the earth. So that's where we get our name, Lamb and Lion Ministries. And Lamb and Lion Ministries was established in 1980 by Dr. David Reagan. He's our founder and director and, uh, He's, and every one of us here have a great passion to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. We believe, as the Bible prophesied and the signs of the times show, that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And so we are proclaiming that message out to as many people as we can, as quickly as we can, that the Lord is coming soon. And so that's what we do. We, uh, on my position here is I'm the web minister. I communicate to the almost now three billion plus people over the internet with the gospel and the soon return of jesus christ Uh, we have a television show christ and prophecy and we're on six major networks like uh, daystar and tct and tbn and uh, of course we have a magazine the lamplighter we have uh, books and articles and whatever we can to get the gospel out we do we're a non-denominational parachurch organization in other words we come along churches and we help teach them uh, in areas maybe they don't feel comfortable in about teaching bible prophecy we get in there and help them teach at conferences and classes and uh, on radio programs wonderful well
0: it's a privilege to have you on the air now tell us a little bit about yourself Nathan you told us a little bit about what you do in the ministry but how did this become a passion for you how did you get a passion for prophecy in the Bible?
1: well I- I've known the Lord all my life I've just I've grown up with the Lord he's been my my savior my my king, my friend all my life and I've always had a passion for the big picture and that's what Bible prophecy is. It's the big picture. It's the 30,000 foot view where you get to see God's plan from the beginning all the way to the end. And in life we tend to get real stuck on what's going on now and we don't understand where our place in is in life and in God's plan. But with God's prophetic word we can understand what God's plan is from why he created the universe all the way to the end of human history and into the eternal state. And that always excites me because that gives you an idea of where your place is in the scheme of life. As a Christian, we can answer those questions that, that non-Christians can't. You know, why do I exist? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And by understanding the big picture of God's Word, we can answer those questions.
0: Absolutely. Those are those incredible existential questions that we always discuss on this show that I think are only answered in Christ. And you hit the nail on the head. The prophecy in Scripture corroborates everything that Scripture tells us about those fundamental answers. So I want to tell you a little story to get started here. And it happened a few weeks ago from what I hear. I was talking to a student that had a pastor from the area speak to their class and the pastor said something along the lines of prophecy in the Bible is not really prophetic. It's nothing more than a literary style, so to say. And the student asked me, what do you think about that statement? And I said, I think this is modern naturalism in academia. And this is the historical critical method run amuck when we see prophecy in scripture and the historical corroboration of those prophecies, it blows my mind that anyone would shrug that off as not a big deal. So what's going on when we hear even Christians saying things like that?
1: Well, their behind, thinking behind that usually is because they don't believe the Bible at all anyway. Uh, they'll take it as man's search for God rather than God's gift to us about what's going on in, in his plan and so what they'll do is they'll, they'll just kind of dissect it in different ways, and one of those ways is just to discount it. Uh, they'll say, well, it, it's got to be all historical, or it's got to be all literary, or it's got to be all poetic. Uh, but the Bible is made up of 66 different books that the Lord inspired, and each writes based on their own way of um, you know, how, how they're built. Uh, some are poets, like King David. Some are historians, like Samuel, uh some are are prophetic like the prophets, like John and Isaiah and all that. And each of these people write based on their own abilities, their own literary styles. And God being the author of everything is a master of all the literary styles. So you see all the literary styles in the Bible, the sixty six books that comprise what we call the Bible today. So to say that there is apocalyptical literature is that it's just symbolic or it's just a literary device uh, it, it is, but it's part of the Bible. It's one of the many. And you just can't dis, discount it and say, well, it's all symbolism. And usually people that discount the, the prophetic word in the Bible are already liberal theologically, and they discount the Bible as being God's word anyway. They say, well, you know, it's a good book, and it, it makes us feel good, and it gives us kind of an understanding of truth. But they don't believe it is the literal word of God. And we have an axiom here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, that if the plain sense makes sense, look for no other sense, Otherwise, you end up with nonsense. And that's <laughs> that's got to really be good. the axiom that guides us as we interpret the Bible.
0: Absolutely. Now, our listeners have heard me say over and over and over that taking your presuppositions and importing them into your conclusions is begging the question. It's a logical fallacy, but it's what we see in modern academia over and over and over again. And I think it's what you just described with some of the liberal perspectives I don't believe the Bible is true from the start, so I'm going to read that in to these prophecies, which blows my mind. It's shocking that somebody could shrug these off. You'll see, as we listen to Nathan throughout the show, that these can't be ignored. These are incredible, and you could not come to any other conclusion that this is God himself speaking to us in his word. So we talked a little bit about the shrug it off mentality. Now... That's not where everybody's at. Some people have an incredible interest in this. So why the interest in prophecy today?
1: Well, I think the interest in prophecy today stems from the fact that, especially outside of the church, I mean, with what we call a secular audience, they're looking at the world around us and they're saying, Something's wrong. Something's not making sense. I mean, what's with all these natural disasters? Why does it look like World War III is always looming? What's with the uh, impending economic collapses? I mean, there are scary, scary times, and people want answers to what this is all about. And so we have people constantly coming to our website and watching our TV show because they want the answers to what's going on. They can sense it. They can feel it in the air. That something big is happening, and we know what's coming up because God gives us that. That's that's a wonderful thing about God. Whatever He does, He always lets us know ahead of time what He plans on doing. Now He might not give us all the intricate details that we would want, but He give again that big picture view of what's coming up in the future. And I believe that people can sense that. Now, uh, there, like you said, there's some in the church who deny Bible prophecy altogether. They called preterists. They believe that all prophecy was fulfilled back uh, when the temple in Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D. But that's because they believe so strongly in the church era, the time we live in now, that they can't picture uh, the times changing. They, they, Or sometimes they don't even want to picture the times changing, like the ancient Pharisees who were so happy with all the attention they got from the people. Some pastors don't want to give up that attention because when Jesus returns, I tell you, brother, all us pastors are going to be out of work because the Lord will be here and people go directly to him and learn from him and we'll help administrate in his kingdom and all, but uh, the church age that we live in now is coming to an end soon, and the Lord is coming back, and that's scary for some people, and so they just discount it, but the rest of the world is seeing that something big is on the horizon.
0: Absolutely. I think that every time people look at the news, they are forced to come face-to-face with some of those thoughts and ideas about the future, and talking to students on the college campus there is that wondering and there is that curiosity about what's coming up so how does fulfilled prophecy prove that the bible is the inerrant word of god
1: well first of all there is no religious book i mean not the quran not the hindu vedas any of the the books out there the holy books of different religions that have bible prophecy real solid bible prophecy like for instance a, a muslim will say well there's a, a surah, a verse, that talks about the animals will gather together. Therefore, oh, we have zoos today, therefore that's fulfilled prophecy. No, that's not fulfilled prophecy. That's a general vague statement that's trying to give. But we have the fulfilled word of God. Now get this, not counting prophecies in the Bible that have to do with Israel or the church or countries or nations. Let's just talk about Jesus Christ. You know, there was 300 general and 109 specific prophecies made about Jesus Christ coming at his first coming. And there are 500 in one in every 25 verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus' second coming. Now, mathematically, that has been proven that just eight, just eight of those 109 prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Christ is mathematically, and this is a mathematician, Peter Stone, I figured that is one in 10 to the 17th power. That means one in 10, that's 17 zeros. And He used this example to show what that's like. He says, that would be like filling the entire state of Texas two feet deep in quarters, mark just one, and then throw it in. Next, drop a blindfolded man in the middle of Texas. The odds would be that the very first coin coin he picks up, that would be the one with the mark on it. That's the probability of eight being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, that would be impossible, right? But it's not impossible with God. And when you see these Bible prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, It proves that the Bible is the word of God. We can trust the Bible. We can put our faith in God's word that Jesus will save us from our sins if we put our faith in him in repentance and that he will work a good work in us when his kingdom comes and we'll have heaven forever with him. We can trust those promises, and that's what Bible prophecy gives us.
0: I agree. I've talked about some of those statistics before on the God solution, and I'm always amazed by the statistics. I think Mm -hmm. when we look at evolution, for example, going off on a tangent here, modern academia hates statistics because the statistics show that evolution is impossible. But then when we look at the statistics involved in prophecy, even just a few of those that Jesus fulfilled, it shows overwhelmingly that we can trust the Bible. And again, modern academia would be quick to toss out the statistics. So Mm -hmm. I am absolutely amazed by the reliability of scripture that you're discussing. I think it's incredible. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango, and kdur.org online. So considering those prophecies, what are some of the examples of fulfilled prophecy related to Jesus? Now, you discussed the statistics of just eight. Of course, there are over 100 specific prophecies, even more general prophecies about Jesus alone. And of course, many, many hundreds more about other issues. Could you tell me some of those specific prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled?
1: Sure, Nate. Do you want me to go through all 109? <laughs>
0: yeah. How about you just start going and share some of the ones that you think are most dramatic and most exciting.
1: Okay, okay. Well, first of all, let's, let, let's get rid of any doubts here that the Old Testament prophecies weren't written after the fact in other words when you can read the prophecies from psalms and isaiah and jeremiah and daniel they have been historically and archaeologically proven without a doubt that those books were written hundreds of years before jesus came on this earth and then when jesus came on this earth and we have the gospels all the different accounts of the apostles we have uh, extra biblical support like josephus and tacitus and other people who said that jesus was a man who was on this earth at this time We can know for a fact that these prophecies were not written after the fact. So, with that in mind, then we know that these prophecies are really miraculous because the God of the universe who knows everything from beginning to end shared what would happen to him in his life hundreds if not thousands of years before Jesus came on this earth. And here's some of the things that he told us would happen to Jesus at his first coming. For one he would be born of a virgin isaiah 714 tells us that now you and i know it's impossible for a virgin to give birth but not by god and that was fulfilled in matthew one jesus was unlike any person in all of history born of a woman who was never with a man and it said what town he would born in In micah 5 2 it said that jesus would be born in bethlehem now not just bethlehem but bethlehem Ephrata in israel at the time there was two bethlehems kind of like we have a I know a Woodstock or a Springfield in every state, they had two Bethlehems. But the Bible went out of its way in Micah 5, 2 to say that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah. And we know in Matthew 2 and Luke 2 that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem. It says in Hosea 11, 1, that Jesus would be called out of Egypt. Now we know that Jesus had family fled to Egypt to get away from Herod. And we know in Matthew 2 it said Jesus came back from out of Egypt. Uh, It said that he would be hunted by a killer in Jeremiah 31.15, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. And Herod killed all the infants. And so Jesus had to go down to Egypt. Uh, It said that he would be heralded by a messenger of the Lord, which ended up being John the Baptist. So Isaiah 43-5, 700-some years before Jesus was born, saying that the Messiah would have a herald that would come before him, and that was John the Baptist. Now, to show that Jesus isn't an ordinary man the Messiah, the king, would perform miracles. Isaiah thirty five, five through six, that the Messiah would be able to do things that no other human would do. He'd heal the blind and and feed the poor and uh raise the dead in Matthew nine thirty five and other verses throughout the New Testament. That's what Jesus did. His miracles proved that he was the Messiah. And as he went doing his ministry, he would preach the good news, Isaiah sixty one one. And that good news is, Nate, as you know, the message of our salvation—that we can be forgiven from our rebellion against God and restored with God through Jesus' sacrifice—he made the way for us when we accept Him as Savior, to be saved and to be have fellowship with God and spend eternity in heaven with God—and that's the good news, the message of the kingdom that Jesus preached. And That's just seven. I go on uh, eight—that He would be a minister; He'd come from Galilee in Jesus' older life. He Grew up in Galilee, Isaiah 9.1, and and that's where he came from. He came down from Galilee. Malachi 3.1 said that he would come and cleanse the temple. In Matthew 21, he came in the week before he died on the cross, and he went and cleansed the temple. He threw out the money changers. Uh, We even know exactly when Jesus would be cut off and crucified. Now, this is a huge prophecy in Daniel 9.25 that it would be 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah's cut off. And you know, Jesus exactly filled from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem after it was destroyed, all the way to Matthew 21, where Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. That's 173,880 days. So we have the exact date that the Messiah would come. So I, I can go on and on if you want me to. I can go on. There are so many prophecies that prove that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. And you know what? If Jesus fulfilled 100% of the first coming prophecies, what's the percent he's going to fulfill of his second coming?
0: I'd say 100%.
1: <laughs> I'd say 100%. Jesus is returning. There's, there's, Like I said, there's 300 general for the first coming, but there's 500 sp- Bible prophecies for the second coming. And If he fulfilled them 100% for the first coming, we know that Jesus will come definitely soon, as he promised.
0: I love that prophecy in Daniel. And I often say on this show, Daniel, in those couple of chapters, prophesies nearly 500 years of Israel's history, but culminating with Jesus coming to pay for the sins of his people. Incredible accuracy, down to the very day, like you mentioned. And I look at something like that and I think, how could we doubt anything else in Scripture after seeing the credibility of those prophecies? I was talking to an atheist recently, and they said, we can't trust prophecy in the Bible because it's just post-written history. Of course, that's what they always have to try to claim. But here we see copies of Daniel that long predate Jesus and predict to the very day when he would come into Jerusalem to be crucified. What an incredible deal. Well, we have some time, so why don't you go ahead and keep going with some other prophecies? I'd love to hear
1: some more. Do you have any others you could share with us? Oh, like I said, i got 109 of them. (laughs) Wonderful. That's just just related to Jesus as the Messiah. Again, the Bible is filled with prophecies that involve the nation of Israel, that involves the church, those are those who are saved, who lived during this age. Uh, It's filled with future prophecy, apocalyptic prophecy, you name it. But let's just keep going about Jesus, because this is important. This is huge, because all of history centers on Jesus Christ. Jesus dying for our sins to provide the way, the only way, as Jesus said, john fourteen the only way for man to come back to christ and that's through jesus death on the cross and that he will come as king again but okay let's talk about when jesus came into jerusalem he'd be riding on a donkey Now that seems like a minor thing but you know zechariah nine nine said that the messiah would ride into jerusalem riding on a donkey and on matthew twenty one four through nine that was fulfilled jesus came in riding on a not just any donkey a donkey that had never been ridden before that Jesus would be rejected by his own people the Jews in Psalm 118:22 said that Jesus would be rejected by his own people And that's why we have a first coming and a second coming if they had accepted Jesus as Messiah he'd be king of the earth right now but to fulfill the the need for him to the, his passion to save people to bring people to God he had to die first in our place the perfect man dying for the imperfect man that's what Jesus did Now, concerning his death, it said that he'd have a humiliating death. You can read Psalm 22. And really, Psalm 22 is probably the best. If anyone has to read Bible prophecy, please read Psalm 22, because Psalm 22 is the passion of the Christ. David's writing it, but it's Jesus a thousand years earlier. uh, First-person account of Jesus on the cross, as you read through it, everything that Jesus said on the cross, you can read in Psalm 22. It's amazing. It's a a step-by-step process. Personal experience through the crucifixion in Psalm 22, and Jesus fulfilled that word for word. Uh, Of course, that he would suffer rejection, Psalm 53:3. I mean, it grieved the Lord to be rejected by his own people, to be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41:9 tells us that, and we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, one of his own apostles, betrayed him in Luke 22, and that Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11:12 said that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And that's the exact amount of money that Judas was given by the Pharisees and the high priest to um, betray Jesus Christ. It also said that uh, when Jesus was on trial, uh, the Messiah was on trial, he'd be silent before his accusers. He wouldn't speak, Isaiah 53, 7. And yet we read in Matthew 27 that Jesus was silent while he was on trial. He didn't speak. It said that the Messiah would be mocked. And beaten, as Psalm 22:7-8 tells us, and the Messiah was mocked and beaten. He'd be spit upon by his own people, Isaiah 56, and we know he was. And that he was pe- be- now. This is here's another one, Nate, that really impresses me. Psalm 22:16 says that Jesus would be pierced through his hands and his feet. Now, now that is a Roman crucifixion. It's talking about there in, G- in the time that this was written, and during the Psalms, a thousand years before Jesus came that the Romans hadn't even invented crucifixion yet until 300 years before Jesus came. So here the Bible's talking about crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented yet.
0: This is incredible. I often talk about a similar prophecy about Cyrus that we find in Isaiah, which was written before Cyrus was even born, and it names him by name. We see these prophecies that go beyond prophetic. (laughs) They're incredible that you would see a prophecy about Jesus dying by crucifixion before Jesus was born and before crucifixion was invented. Uh, incredible, incredible. Keep sharing. I'm I'm getting excited here.
1: Okay. Well, uh, one of the things, is, is, again, it shows uh, how much Christ loved us, even though we, it's our sins, not just the Jews or the Romans, but everybody's sins throughout history is why Jesus put himself on the cross. He died because he loves us, and he wants us to our sins to be forgiven, and we can be forgiven when we believe in him as Savior. And so when he was on the cross, uh, Isaiah 53:12 said that he would pray for his persecutors. And we read in Luke 23, 34 that Jesus asked the Father to forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. So Jesus prayed for his persecutors. It says that he would be pierced in his side, Zechariah 12:10, that someone would stab Jesus in the side after his death, and we know that's what the Romans did. They stabbed him in the side after he died. While he was on the cross, he'd be thirsty, Psalm 6921. And it said exactly what the people would give him. Now, the, the people who were there, the Romans, were mocking Jesus. The Pharisees were mocking Jesus. So when he said he was thirsty, they gave him vinegar, but it's like a bad type of vinegar with gall in it to drink. And Psalm 6921 tells us exactly that Jesus was given gall vinegar to drink. Um, it said, too, that Jesus wouldn't have any broken, broken bones. Now, when people were crucified on the cross, uh, people didn't die really from the blood loss so much, so, or, or the whippings, or, or being nailed to the cross. But what would really kill you on the cross is suffocation, because you have to hold yourself. You're in a bad position, so it's hard to breathe, and you pull yourself up, and of course it hurt with the nails and the hands and the feet, and you drop down again, and eventually people on the cross would suffocate. So what the Romans would do is they'd come and they'd break the legs of the prisoners. That's what they did to the, the prisoners on each side of Jesus. And that way they couldn't pull themselves up anymore, and they'd suffocate. But the Messiah would have no bones broken in him, and Jesus did. He died before the Romans could break any bones, and so they didn't break any bones. And that, man, that's, that's something amazing, too, because the whole Passover lamb, which we read about, the sacrifice of the lamb that the Jews did from Passover on, this whole sacrificial system involved a perfect lamb without blemish that would have no broken bones. So every animal, every uh, sheep or lamb, I should say, that was sacrificed as was an example of Jesus Christ being sacrificed. The perfect Lamb, without blemish, without spot, considered holy, without any broken bones, proved that Jesus was the Messiah, because he was the Passover Lamb. And He was his death on the cross happened at the same time during the Passover feast, where they would sacrifice the Lamb. So Jesus, again, was the Lamb of God, Dying for the sins of humanity. So the whole sacrificial system is is one giant sign, one giant prophecy that points to Jesus dying on the cross.
0: Well, Nathan, I'm so excited that we got to interview you here on The God Solution. This will be up on Godsolutionshow.com. But I would also like you to be able to share where people could hear more about you Could you please give us in detail some of the other ways that people could hear from you and stay in touch with you and learn more about these topics and learn more about your ministry?
1: Oh, certainly. Uh, Well, thank you again, uh, Nate, for having me on. It's been a great blessing. Uh, Folks want to know more about our ministry, Lamb and Lion Ministries, they go to our website at lamblion.com. That's L-A-M-B-L-I-O-N.com. And there, our website has almost everything you want to know about this ministry, but more about Bible prophecy. And there you can watch our television show, Christ and Prophecy, which is you can also watch it on, you know, Daystar and all these other networks, but you can also watch it online. We of course have a YouTube and a Vimeo channel. You can listen to podcasts of our, our shows and different interviews. You can read all our different articles that talk about different topics related to Bible prophecy Uh, we have a Facebook group over 5,000 people that that talk and and just encourage each other in these dark times and share Bible prophecy we have a blog if you need a daily dose of Bible prophecy go to lamblion.us and then we also have a newsletter every other week we send out a newsletter that tells you what's going on in the world and, and teaches you something about Bible prophecy and you can sign up for that on our website as well and if you need books or DVDs or videos we also have a the store Just click the store button there, and for a very inexpensive, you can get DVDs and at cost, and we uh, like to get those out to people so they can learn about all the wonderful promises that God has in the Bible.
0: I'm going to go ahead and put everything you just said up on some notes attached with this file at godsolutionshow.com so that any of you that are listening could access everything he just shared without having to remember all those various opportunities. I would encourage you to put your faith and your trust in God, to say, Jesus, I know I need you. I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please make me the kind of person you want me to be. Please be my Savior and Lord. I put my faith and my trust in you. The Bible says if you come to him asking him to come into your life by faith, putting your faith and trust in him, He will become your Savior and Lord. He will adopt you into his family, and you'll be able to look forward to an eternity with him in heaven. You'll be able to look forward to a life of purpose and meaning on this planet. And in addition to all of it, you'll be able to look at the chaotic world around you and even these biblical prophecies unfolding with hope rather than fear because you see the big picture. I pray that if you've never taken that step, you'll take it this very morning even right now. Join us for Connect this week. We'll be meeting at 6 p.m. in Noble Hall 125. I would also invite you to join a local church this morning. You can go to Godsolutionshow.com and click on the Local Churches tab to find directions and times to various local churches that you could visit this morning. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I
1: hope you have a wonderful time. Thanks for listening.